Some viewers may find the following video disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. Coming live from the Bar Top Banner Studios in Cypress, Texas, it is the happy hour with Josh and Josh. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. You gotta take a stand. This is your Memorial Day Happy Hour with Josh and Josh. Everyone, welcome. Thanks for listening once again. Um, We both just got our asses kicked at work today, so we are ready to sit down and have a nice little fireside happy hour chat. Uh, Mr. Roach, how are you doing, my friend? I feel amazing. I have equally got our ass kicked. As you can see, our intro was a little different today. Um, I'm not a... I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. That's what we've clearly learned today. And my mic was not working. JB, you crushed it. You crushed it. Um, this is our Memorial Day week episode. So to uh, okay. everyone out there, be hope you were safe on your three-day vacation. Remember why we're celebrating it. We are celebrating the men and women who have given up their lives for us to have hot dogs and cheeseburgers and me and JB to have a happy hour and get hammered and talk about the stupidest shit imaginable. So... Thank you to everyone that has uh, given up their life for us, and I'm ready to talk some crazy shit going on in the world right now. Going on in the world, uh, our stuff's all pretty ancillary. I don't think we're qualified to really talk about the big shit, so here we are talking about happy hour topics. And Houston topic number one. Sean Watson. Sean Watson news update. Shit's getting crazy. What you got, JB? Man, every time one of these stories comes out, um, I become a little bit more and more of a legal expert every time there's like a pro athlete or musician or celebrity that's just in hot water. Um, This time it's Deshaun Watson. Uh, News came out today um, on ESPN. Um, Deshaun Watson's lawyers came out and provided kind of an update about his case. People are starting to get deposed. Um, there's a deposition schedule coming out for the fall. Uh, remember, uh, Joshua Roach, how many accusers does he have? It was 21 last that I heard. It was 22. One uh, recanted and has dropped the lawsuit. So still sitting strong at 21 tips. Uh, if this person gets tipped, they're going way back to zero and not 11. Yeah. And so that being said, all 21 um have to give a dip deposition before he does. Which all, means, of, all of them do? Yeah. Okay. Everyone named in the lawsuit. And that means his lawyer said that he's not going to get deposed until early 2022. I think, keep in mind, this is 2021, year of our Lord. And what's going to happen, I think this is a strategic move by Deshaun Watson to say, like, hey, guys, I can still play this season. This isn't going to take me out until next season at the earliest at this point. Because even if he gets deposed in 2022, like early 2022, like that's not going to keep him out for any kind of um, uh, game action this year at that point, unless the NFL brings action against them. And it seems a little silly to be talking about his game availability based off the accusations. 
but it seems like kind of a strategic move by his team to be available for the season. I think the fucker ain't playing this year. I don't know who's you don't think so. No, I I mean he's done in Houston. That's a foregone conclusion. So now you're looking for a team that wants to gamble on just an image problem. Again, you got you got the Patriots. They don't mind second chances. You got uh, the Steelers. Love some good second chances over there. And it's he, he, the Raiders. But I just don't see anyone wanting to take that chance. I mean, we saw the you know the Ray Rice debacle of how it was handled and the repercussions of that. Obviously, there were video footage that showed everything, but you don't know when the NFL actually got that. Who knows what the NFL really knows and doesn't know? It's basically Area 51. Whatever Roger Goodell feels like doing, he does. It's There's no, you know, one-size-fits-all. It's case-by-case, case, whatever Roger feels. And anything is possible at this point. I just don't see a team wanting to take the chance. I, I wouldn't want to take the chance if I was an owner, but that's me personally. And, you know, it's still innocent until proven guilty, but – getting a little sketchy in Houston, a little itchy. little itchy. Um, I wouldn't if I was an owner either. Like, you're running a multi-billion dollar corporation at that point. And to bring that kind of heat on yourself for no reason. You mentioned the Patriots. They just drafted a quarterback. You mentioned the Raiders. They, they just paid a quarterback. I feel like early 2000s, Jerry Jones would have been all over this. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Early uh, 2000s. Shit, mid, him, and, him and Michael be doing some coke on some hooker's butthole in the mid-90s. Mid nineties and then early two thousands, like let's bring Quincy Carter. In. What's the worst that can? What's the worst that could happen? So, but again, they paid Dak um, a ton of money. I don't, I don't see a team that would at this stage in the game take that on. I'm, I'm a hundred percent behind you. It, it just yeah. seems silly. Yeah, everyone's, th- everyone's quarterback situation is kind of set for at least this season, whether it be wait till next year or we just drafted someone or we just pay someone or we have someone. Um, so I think he's I think he's just going to have to sit and work on his legal defenses here. I think it says a lot that there was no talk during the draft. You know, people looking for a quarterback and things like that. You have a quarterback who is, is a very good quarterback wanting out of his situation, and these people taking chances on draft picks, some very late. Like, I'm, I'm an A&M guy. Love Kel- I, mean, I love A&M. Kellen Mond is a questionable pick. If you're a th- in, that, in that region, why are you not trying to pick up Deshaun Watson when you have a really good – quality quarterback and make some trades because no one wants to take the chance. That's why. Yeah, that's true. And why pay Deshaun Watson how much ever money if you can pay Kellen Mond a rookie salary, honestly, yeah. not have all that heat on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I 100% agree. I think if this allegation doesn't exist, he is playing starting for a, a contender and the contender is giving up a lot of picks to get him. Yeah. So Deshaun Watson – you're on our uh, true crime documentary list. We will keep the people updated. Um, JB, do you have any updates about the Tiger King? Because I do have an update. Uh, the Houston Tiger King season two. Houston Tiger King season two wrapped into season one. And what's going on with the Tigers? The floor is yours, my man. Okay. All, all Tigers are gone in Oklahoma. End of story. <laughs> That's the only update. There ain't shit. Did they go somewhere or did they just kind of leave? You know, I have a theory. What, what you got? I have a theory that Joe Exotic tunneled under the jail cell, released his tigers into the world, 
And his tiger said, I hate Oklahoma. I'm heading down to the beach. And he chose Houston Beach, a.k.a. Galveston, a.k.a. the Mississippi River. Got lost in Fort Bend County. That's my theory, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I think that's what happened. Well, to, to be fair, like Fort, Fort Bend is where the murder happened four years ago. The tiger was found in Houston. That's a humid climate. That's a jungle tiger climate. See, I'm learning something. I thought everything was Fort Bend County. No, the um, no, where they actually found the tiger, where the off-duty cop was, that was in Houston, like not far from downtown. We'll see. That's why Netflix needs a fucking series. So keeps me updated on the news. I don't know. No, it was Victor Hugo Cuevas, motherfucker. Like he's moving all around Texas, killing people, kidnapping tigers, driving off with them. The man has lived a rich life. If he ends up in jail soon, like he lived enough life for several lifetimes. Very true. I'd, I'd say to all our listeners, the best part about this podcast is a we started with a conversation about Deshaun Watson and football, and it has migrated back to the Tiger King, which we can all appreciate. So to reverse it, back to football, Julio Jones. Julio Jones. I. He just literally was just standing there, looked around this fucking place and said, I'm out. He said, time to go. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Mm-mm-mm. Fuck this shit, I'm out. He was out. He is ready to. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Where's he out to, JB? I mean, I don't know. I've never seen this happen before. Um, I forget what the show is called because I don't watch it because I hate Skip Bayless. But the Shannon and Skip show, um, Shannon Sharp called him live, like on live TV and put Julio Jones on speakerphone and asked him about what was going on and asked him about Atlanta and Julio Jones just said like straight up, no, I'm out, like on live television. And, uh, and then for some reason, like they just did a fucking drive by on the Dallas Cowboys and like, Shannon only asked him about one other team, and it was the Dallas Cowboys. And Julio Jones said, "No, no, no, I want to win," which was just totally unnecessary. Like, we're we're set at receiver. Like, if like if there's one position we don't need is wide receiver, Julio. Like, I we're not like sitting at the corner like begging for you to come to Dallas. Like, maybe convert to safety and we'll talk. But would you? Would would you not want Julio Jones on your team? Do you not think he could help? I would. One one would absolutely want Julio Jones on their team. We have much bigger holes to fill, and we got, you know, um, we got <laughs> we got Amari Cooper, we got CD Lamb. Like we don't need. Oh, we got Michael Gallup. We don't need Julio Jones unless we were able to ship one of those other guys out for defensive help. Yeah. Our defense is trash. Um, and Julio Jones just wouldn't really add that much for how talented he is. I'll say I've loved watching Julio Jones over the year, over the years. And uh the Atlanta New England Super Bowl, like it wasn't his fault that Atlanta lost. It was the offensive coordinator's fault and the defense's fault. Bad coaching, bad coaching to finish that game. Yeah, and he had one of the best, like, losing, winning performances I've ever seen. So many just incredible catches. Like, the Patriots couldn't do anything with him. 
Yeah. Um, so any team would be lucky to have him. I just don't want it to be the Cowboys. So the feeling's mutual, Julio. So, I mean, I think if everyone put ego aside and were smart, Green Bay would talk to Aaron and say, oh. "Hey, there's this really good guy at catching footballs named Julio Jones. If we got this guy, would you want to stay?" That's the first conversation I'm having as a Packer GM. If he says yes, I'm talking to fucking hot Lana and ludicrous and trying to figure out what I need to give to get this man to keep my franchise quarterback here and have a chance because really green Bay is close. And that would be, that would be a huge get. And I think it makes sense for both parties. There, there's pieces that could help both, but you know, with the ego of Rogers and well-deserved ego, he's an outstanding player. I don't think there's anything to keep him anymore. So I don't see that happening. So Julio Jones, where, where does he go? Where is a, a good landing spot? And a con- he wants to play for a contender, too, for him to go. Uh, Green Bay would be incredible because, like, you're Aaron Rodgers and you look, one, you look at one side and there's Devontae Adams. And then it's just like, well, shit, who have I been playing with since then? And then you look at the other side and all of a sudden, oh, cool, Julio Jones. Um, there have been some Seattle rumors, and I kind of love that because all of a sudden you got – Russell Wilson throwing the ball to um, UK Metcalf and Julio Jones. That is honestly where I see him going. That'd be incredible. But I don't know how they make it happen. That's my thing. I think that's a contender. You got a good one-two. DK Metcalf seems like such a cool guy that even though he is the man there, Julio seems to have, in my opinion, don't know the guys, and I think Julio Jones is a super awesome dude to listen to his interviews and things. I think yeah. he would probably expect the number one spot over Medcalf, but I think Medcalf would also be like, you can be the number one. I can be the number two. I just want to ring just by reading their comments and the kind of people they are. And they could get one with that. Yeah. And one kind of criticism of Seattle is that they don't let Russell Wilson throw the ball enough. If you spend the assets and the money to go get Julio Jones, then you're going to have to throw the ball. Yes. So I think that would kind of unlock their offense a little bit too. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I th- you've got to chunk the ball. You've got to make plays that way. And they have the ability. I think Russell West, I mean, Russell Westbrook, I'm thinking basketball. What an idiot. Mr. Wilson, he has the ability. Yeah. I'm getting emails. All my emails are attached to this. So uh, pardon me for working while I'm working. I just want the world to know how busy you are. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> but their quarterback, you know, he, he's so talented. He can adjust to anything. That's that's the move I think will happen. Um, yeah. Again, everything in football happens crazily. He'll end up at the Patriots or something somehow that Bill Belichick will do something Ooh. and Robert Kraft <laughs> and make something happen, and he's a Patriot, and dear God. Um, yeah, if I had to make a prediction, I would say Seattle. I would say one dark horse is the WFT, the Washington football team. That's their their defense is probably a top five defense in the NFL. Uh, They went out and got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's a placeholder for sure. But they made the playoffs with a terrible offense and a really good defense. Like, why not get Julio Jones? Yeah, that 
that's why that's why I love having you on the show. That this is how I feel about having Al on the Gigum guys because you just uh -huh. you know so much, like you know analytically and know where everyone is. I'm just the content guy, so it's so good to have you to break it down even more. Like I have one or two thoughts, and you spider web it down. But yes, it's really nice. You're you're just you're just amazing. You're amazing. On three three and a half topics totally, but that happens to just be what we talk about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's he's the man. I can't wait to see what happens. I think it'll it'll be interesting. It'll kind of, again. I'm a big college sports guy. That's where my help will come in um, when I'm not getting my butt kicked at work. But it's exciting to see what's going on in NFL with all these demands to see where these franchise players that you only know them for one team are going to end up this year. Yeah. Um, speaking of college sports, we got a murder by a uh, Mr. Izzo's player. Yeah, man. Uh... Alle allegedly, I'm sorry, allegedly. This one seems pretty cut and dry, though. Uh, Keith Appling, former uh, Michigan State guard. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, McDonald's All-American, four-year four -year player for coaches of Michigan State. Um, did not really make the NBA. I was looking this guy up today. He played, I think, five games for the Orlando Magic. Made $160,000 for five for five games it's not terrible i would do a lot of things for one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and they all include orifices it's a long list before you like have to get to orifices though i'm just saying there's there's no top part i'm i'm game for 160 tax-free you're going straight to the orifices just get it over with and get done right. i was in I, I, was, th I was in the navy <laughs> uh I doubt it was tax-free. Um, he probably had his agent taken out the cut and stuff. He probably cleared about 70K by the time that was all done. Um, but yeah, allegedly, but probably um, was arrested for murdering a 66-year-old um, relative after a verbal altercation. Got a lot more than verbal. Um, found a gun at the scene, which is in line with um, a previous... Uh, jail sentence he was in jail for a year for another gun charge was that was that jail sentence before college or since he's been no, out? no it was um it was right after he was in the nba for that whole thing he played in the nba in 2016 again like a 10-day contract for the magic went to jail for a year and then went and played in the dominican league for a couple of seasons Okay. And uh, the other day, killed his elderly relative. And where was where was this at? Uh, East Lansing, uh, in Michigan. Maybe, I think East Lansing, but just somewhere in Michigan, like in their home. And it sucks, man. Um, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't stay out of your own way, you can end up just kind of hurting yourself and then more importantly, hurting other people. Pretty crazy. Um, 100%. Dark, dark side of college sports for sure. I mean, I was reading about this on ESPN and it, I was reading it and it said, excuse me, man fatally wounds someone. I was like, fatally? Motherfucker murdered. You murdered, you murdered somebody. And I was like, reading, in the, reading a little bit into the story and it seems like some of these, it's, it's tragic. A, I'm sure he didn't just fall into this lifestyle, you know, um, but you look at some of the people that go to Michigan State and some of their history prior to getting there, and it seems like Izzo is able to save so many young men and getting them out of, you know, very tough living situations 
And just again, I'm Josh Roach from Houston. I don't know Tom Izzo, but he seems like a genuine human being that really wants to, it's bigger than basketball kind of thing. I can just imagine how heartbroken he is over this because, you know, all, all that he puts into it. I, I'm praying for the for the family of the guy, you know, that's got to be hard and, and the victim. Everything's got to be hard, but it's just sad that you have all this talent and you didn't make the NBA, but you're playing in the Dominican League. There's plenty of options out there where you can still play and make money and yeah. you just kind of turn to whatever lifestyle he was living in. It ended up with someone dying and it's, you know, it, it's, it's sad. It's tough. And that area of the country really, because they get a lot of players out of East Lansing, they get a lot of players out of Flint, Michigan, and Detroit. And that area of the country has had its kind of back turned on it for a long time. Yeah. And yeah, basketball is a way out, but not, not always. Again, this is probably a familial dispute, which is tough. And that demographic in that area of the country, especially, has kind of had their back turned on them for a long time. And it's a, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough situation. And yeah, to your point, Coach Izzo, I, I can't imagine like that has always seemed like a family. Uh, my buddy Trevor, who you've met, he's got a friend from back home that uh, whose brother played at Michigan State basketball. And oh wow! Some of the stories he has, like he's met, like he's met Draymond Green. Like Draymond Green's still very much part of that program. Jason Richardson, yeah. still very much part of that program. Mateen Cleaves off the championship winning team. I love love Mateen Cleaves. Uh, Mo Pete, Morris Peterson, like they all are part of that program because to your point, it seems like a family. So that family's, that family's got to be kind of reeling right now for sure. Yeah. I mean, 100%. And, you know, again, hearts out to everyone involved in this thing. It's uh, you know, we do, we do a lot of uh, satire and funny stuff, but sometimes like real shit hits the news and we try to, we try to put it out there. So to everyone involved, like prayers out there, but it just, it just it's sad to see things like that happen. And I, I in, a, in the bar top banter one, we talk about issues and things like that. And we talked about movies and I talked about hoop dreams and oh. you look at some of those guys, you know, coming out of, you know, the roughest neighborhoods in Illinois and the stuff they went through and then getting drugged back into it after being amazing basketball players. It's just, it's sad, man. Like they have all the talent and all the chance and it just, something steers them wrong It, you know, I don't know what it is, but it, it's, it's, it's hard to watch. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Getting back to another thing, hard to watch LeBron James and his amazing ability to act. Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, I just wonder why he is the way he is all the time. <laughs> like I was watching the, the Chris Paul foul, the blockout. And I watched it five times to make sure I wasn't, wasn't missing something. If you watch the whole clip from start to finish, this motherfucker gets fouled, goes down hurt, right? He's laying there, which seems like dates. A scuffle breaks out 15 feet away. What does LeBron do? He gets up from the scuffle, from where he's hurt, walks the 10 feet, and falls down because he realized not everybody was watching me. I need, I need everyone to see this. I don't know what to say. Uh, 
speechless. Yeah. You're speechless. I understand. I, yeah, understand. I, I was watching the game, and him and Chris Paul are pretty well documented as being like really good friends. And Chris Paul like legitimately got injured earlier in the game, had a like a stinger or a shoulder contusion or something. They're about to play in a few minutes, so I'll probably watch most of it. Um, like Chris Paul wasn't right the rest of the game. Like he could barely dribble with his right hand. Every time he shot, it looked like me shooting the ball. He was like slingshotting it. And I think LeBron wanted some attention. He's got a pretty well documented um, requirement to be the center of attention. And it's tough because, like, I love watching him play. Oh, I've loved watching him play since I was a freshman in high school. I turned 33 fucking years old this year. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. Old club. It's the, it's the, it's the Jesus birthday coming in September. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've loved watching him for 18 years. And he's just always just had this, like, necessity to be the center of attention even going back to high school like look at me i got this hummer look at me and i'm on the cover of esp in the magazine look at me i got a chosen one tattoo and again he's like a top in my mind like he's the second best basketball player of all time after jordan uh he's gonna end up having the best career of all time like individually when you look at just all the accolades and stats and everything just just calm down like yeah, looking at the play, like Chris Paul does also have like the reputation as a little bit of a dirty player, but he's not going to intentionally hurt one of his best friends. He came in, he tried to box out. LeBron did a big jump to try to draw a foul, got his arm caught a little bit, and that should have been the end of it. But then, my God, did he just put on a show after that? And like, but and that's what he does. Like, so the the young bucks where I work, they, they're LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. And I let them have that argument. I won't, you can make the argument LeBron's the best that's ever played. Okay. I'll, and, and, and I'll stand there and listen and I'll say, okay, the things that separate Mike and Kobe. So I have Kobe and LeBron at two A and B. They're, 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 they're two A and B for me. The things he does, like you said, makes the center of attention. The flopping is soccer flopping. And that means you are the best at faking everything. And he has taken it to a new level. Congratulations, LeBron. You deserve a yellow card for your amazing acting skills. That's why they cast you in Space Jam, because you're clearly a good actor. So kudos on that one. Well, Le LeBron cast LeBron in Space Jam. It was his production company. I didn't know that. So that makes it even worse. You could. Oh, he's doing well. He's got a little production company. Like, he's doing incredible. And he's a great dude outside of basketball, too. That's what sucks. Like he started the school in Akron. He never gets into any trouble at all. He's been with yeah, us oh yeah. Like, but on the court, he's just so fucking dramatic. But and it's not just that. Like you can have opinions and things, but even his tweets, he contradicts himself regularly. Yeah. Like you can have a belief that people don't agree with, and I'm hundred percent about that. I'm like, cool. That's that's what we're here for. You're you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to have a yeah. conversation, but then you contradict the same tweet you sent a few months ago. And once you realize it, it gets deleted. You take it down or have an excuse. I don't like that. And the thing that turned me off of LeBron for, forever, and I'll never, again, basketball side of things, was the decision. You drew this decision out on ESPN, which ESPN loved, got a lot of views. 
but you knew what you were doing and you made it a super spectacle and it, it just, you know, that doesn't happen. No one does that. Jordan didn't do that. Other people didn't do that. It was, you wanted it, but he's always wanted the attention. He had the chosen one tattoo. He picked 23, you know, there was all these things that he did to bring that. It isn't just like, Oh, you're the next Jordan. And he left it alone. He wanted it. And again, Jordan, if you listen to his, his interviews, he never says he's the best. He admits that like, he, he thinks he's one of the best, but yeah. he's like, you can't say that because there was magic. There was Larry, there was Wilt. And that's what he says. He's like, all these people were so good in their errors. How can you ever judge that? And I think that's why he stands above. And when all these players talk about LeBron, no one talks about LeBron. Like the OG hall of famers talk about Jordan. They're like, he just, he just his intensity and the kind of person he was. So, I mean, good on LeBron. All the young players in the league, your Devin Booker's, your like those up and comers that are just killing it right now. Uh, they they talk about Kobe more than they talk about LeBron at this point. And, and there's a there's a reason for that. Yeah, and uh, no, and Kobe Kobe's not kind of the closest. This Emily, we've had to Jordan like nowhere near as good, but like kind of the same mindset. We're in. I'll I'll murder you before I lose to you, and. Uh, I don't know, and I consider myself very lucky to have caught the tail end of Jordan, to have caught all of Kobe, and to have caught all of LeBron's careers, and I consider myself very lucky to be able to, like, witness LeBron's career and watch him play, but, again, just, like, calm down, bro. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't have to be the center of attention every single time. It, it's, it's a little hard to watch sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with that. I agree with that. I'll tell you one thing. He has to be the scoring LeBron if they're going to beat the Suns. The facilitator LeBron, I appreciate it. Um, he's a very unselfish player and he's outstanding at everything he does. But yeah. now it's time to take over because if you don't, AD looks lost and Booker he's looks lost. like he's ready to just kill everybody to, in his first playoff. So if he doesn't turn it on this next game and they go down 2-0, it's over. And I'm on the record now saying I think the Lakers win in five. I think this is the only game that they win. But if the if the Suns win this next game, it's over. I don't I don't think it's coming back. Hmm. Uh, I'm on the record last in last week's episode of saying um, again we're uh, we're taping this Tuesday, May 25th, night of. Uh, the Nets are just ab- absolutely beating the shit out of Boston right now. By the way. Um, I'm on the record as saying whoever comes out of this series, the Suns and Lakers, is going to come out of the Western Conference. You have, yep, you have. And um, right now, if I had to bet on it, I would I would say it's probably even even money, even with the Suns up one to nothing, especially with Paul Shoulder. But to your point, if the Suns win tonight, I think there's going to be a lot of stories planted a little bit about like how like certain people in the Lakers clubhouse are dissatisfied with Anthony Davis's performance. And it's all going to be like LeBron's camp leak and stuff to reporters. Cause you see that all the time too. A lot of like just friend reporters that are very friendly to LeBron, your Brian Windhorst's, your uh, Woj's, your Shams. And they, uh, they kind of get their marching orders from the LeBron camp a lot of times. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. They they do 100. percent 
And this, I hate Skip Bayless. I think he, you know, he made a name for himself as a good reporter in Dallas and then has just taken it to the far extreme to become a, a comic, a comic book carrier character. But so has Stephen A. Smith. He has done the same thing where when I watch Stephen A. Smith, I think of a reverend. I think I'm at Sunday church and Stephen A. Smith is talking. I appreciate, though, the compliment I have for Stephen A. is he still calls LeBron out when need be. He called him out about himself calling himself the king, and then they got swept by Golden State that year. I appreciate that. And the conversation him and Charles Barkley had about flopping gate, about just the over-exaggeration. So I do appreciate that despite not being a huge fan of Stephen A. and his how he does interviews and stuff, he does call people out when deserved. And he put he put some choice words on LeBron and how he acted. If you haven't seen it, it's actually a, a decent five-minute clip. And Charles Barkley was hilarious too. I didn't watch all five minutes, I'll be honest, but I saw little clips. Um, Skip Bayless hates LeBron James to an unreasonable degree where he's just dumb about it. Because, again, like, LeBron James, the player, is just fucking incredible. Le- LeBron James, the off-the-court, just human being, when he stays out of his own way, is an incredible dude, it seems like. It's LeBron James, the media persona, is tiresome as fuck. Um, but Skip Bayless is like, there was a game a little while ago. It was, I think, the last year LeBron was on the Cavs. They had this big comeback against the Wizards, and – Kevin Love does like a full court inbound to LeBron. He does a backpedal and just a bank shot at the buzzer to send it to overtime. And Skip Bayless was like, no, lucky shot, lucky shot. And I'm like, Skip, come on. And, uh, but no, Stephen A, Stephen A. Smith, I'll take 100 times out of 100 over Skip Bayless. Because I mean, uh, he, he's at least selective in his, in who he yells about. 100%. Again, Skip Bayless. I just have one question for you, and that's it. Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> that's that's all I got, Skip. <laughs> You're pretty god awful. Um, AD's got to step up for them to have a chance. He he definitely didn't look great, but um, if he turns it around game two, it's it's gonna be a it's gonna get bad if he turns it up. He, if he turns it up, and late in the regular season he scored forty two against them, and then postseason comes and. Um, he was playing like it was a preseason game and he was just getting a run in. And across the way, DeAndre Aiden, the Sun Center, was looking like Shaq out there. I think he had like 16 rebounds and went like 10 for 10. So AD is the key to the series and probably the whole conference at this point. There you go. So we'll see. We'll see how the playoff goes. JV is going to keep us informed. Um, ACL just announced on the last uh, last podcast we we're talking about it. George Strait showing up. Um, what's going on, man? How how exciting is it to have ACL back in Austin? It's very exciting, except the tickets sold out. So uh, last week the general lineup got released. Um, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two separate weekends. They don't release like the specific who's playing on Friday, who's playing on Saturday until today, actually. But last week, they just if you want to buy a pass for the whole weekend, they went on sale. They sold out within about 40 minutes. Today, they released the schedule for the uh, single day lineups. Um, George is uh, headlining Friday of weekends. 
So I'm like, and it's Miley Cyrus. And then on the underbill, it's a bunch of other great artists. Um, Sunday's the other good one. Um, it's Stevie Nicks headlining and then DaBaby, uh, a really uh, popular rapper right now. He's out of Charlotte. He's pretty good. He's really good. Look up DaBaby. Um, Is that just D-A space baby? There's no space. It's just D-A baby. The baby. DA baby made me think about like a baby that's like a district attorney. And I'm going to start writing a television show right after this. Hmm, okay, there we go. <laughs> um, it's kind of the law and order theme, but played with like baby rattles. And, like, <laughs> it's, um, was it Peter Griffin? Going to learn some law. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when they release those lineups, like this is who's playing Friday, this is who's playing Saturday, this is who's playing Sunday. Then they released the one day tickets. Those sold out within about half an hour. So, so, so George Strait okay. sold out. Everyone sold out, but George Strait, I would like to think that George Strait's day sold out the fastest, but there's no way of knowing. But your boy JB got left out in the cold, so I'm going to be hitting the secondary market, I guess. I would, I would, I would uh, love to go see George. I mean, I would go Friday, and I probably, depending on who was playing, if there's anyone else I was interested in, I would pay the money just to go see him and then go home. It was $130 for a one-day pass. So I, mean, I, would, so I would absolutely pay that to see George go over and see, like, party in the USA, then come back and see George after his, like, little break. And then just whoever whoever is under there that I'm remotely interested in. Yeah, I mean the road the rodeo's twice that, so I mean I'm saving money. I, that's how I convinced Kylie. I'm actually saving money. I'm I'm watching the budget. I can sleep on JB's couch. Hopefully, there's a bed. Uh oh yeah, yonder way yeah for sure. So, so uh, go ahead. You you'd posed a question on a run sheet uh-huh. about. Two people. You you're saying that who would be the two headliners, right? Like if you had to put a, a music festival together, it's a little bit different than ACL. But if you had to put a music festival together and you had to bring the people in, and you're trying to hit the headliners for Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So say Friday night starts at like six, they play an hour set, and then at seven thirty, your headliner plays like an hour and a half, two hour set. Okay. Who are you putting on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night? And this is just like ACL, anything anything can go. Yeah. So this is like the Josh Roach Music Festival. Um, they have to be like living acts. And, and I'm trying to make money. It's all about money. It's not about personal preference either, right? No, it's about personal preference. You, want, you have to be able to want to come to the show. My festival is going to make some money, though, because I'm a simple bitch. But... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm going if, if if it's just about my taste of music, who I think is extremely popular, and can and can bring in the money. I mean, I'm starting Friday. I'm switching it. George is playing Friday. I'm putting Garth Brooks because that dude brings okay. in the fucking people. Um, he did it. He's done it his whole career. So that that'd be my Friday headliner. You? Um, Friday headliner. I think. Friday's going to be kind of the classics. Um, so I would have uh, Paul McCartney, who I actually saw at ACL, I think, three years back. How awesome was that? Incredible. And you had probably three generations of people who were all just so happy to be watching Paul McCartney. There you go. 
people our age, people our like parents' age, people our grandparents' age were there, just like visibly just so overjoyed to be seeing Paul McCartney live. Um, so he would absolutely be one of my headliners. So I'm gonna go so I can still think for a few seconds. Who would you go Saturday? Saturday would be my um, slightly more contemporary, I guess. Um, but we're going all the way back to like the late 90s with this guy. Uh, we mentioned him on the last podcast, but my Saturday headliner would be Jay-Z. That's a good one. Yep, that's a good one. Very easy to put a two-hour set together of Jay-Z songs that we could probably just write off on the, off the top of our heads. Yep. Uh, yes, you, def- you definitely could. And this one, he would bring in a lot of money, and I've never actually seen him before, so I would just be ecstatic to see him. That's a good one. Um, I don't like this artist, but you're talking about money, just strictly okay. money. You got to bring in Taylor Swift. She's one of the biggest artists out there. She's going to pack the the young demographic really quickly, and it's a Saturday night, so they're going to hit up Sixth Street and then get hammered and then go back out. So, I mean, I think you got to throw old T-Swizzle in there, despite my despite my distaste of myself that I mentioned that. I think you have to. I mean, that's pretty fair. Uh, no, that's pretty fair. Yeah. What you got last and not last but not least Sunday. So my Sunday closing it down. My Sunday, I have a I have like an early headliner and then the the headliner. (laughs) No, you're going you're going twice. No, I think they pair pretty well together, honestly. Okay. I've seen this first act before at ACL once more. Um, the strokes are gonna play an hour set. And the strokes are pretty big, so there's not a lot of people that they would need to open for. Who they would open for is, and I hear they still put it on a pretty decent show, the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's good. I love the Rolling Stones. Again, kind of simple bitchish, but I, uh, I'm really into them. And I think it's just kind of like guitar rock music with a kind of really charismatic leading vocalist. You're, you're, and I mean, that's that's a that's a good. It's a good night of music. Um, if it's me, both of these are headliners. So if we're doing we're doing we're doing doubles on Sunday, we're pairing them so well. Doubles I'm having Sunday. I'm having the band that everyone wants to see that it's almost impossible to see. I mean, Pearl Jam is going to be the first one playing. Okay. Um, that they're so hard to get tickets for, and everyone wants to see them, and they seem to sell out everywhere, and they have so many great songs. Jeremy is my favorite song by them. In an outstanding video, um, but they—I've I've heard they put on great shows, and not that they are on the level of Paul McCartney, but the people closing the show. I'm bringing some Bono and U2 at you. Um, every song you can sing, it should be a fun show, an exciting show, and having a great time. Um, I, I would love to see U2. That's like that's one of my George Strait. I mean, it, for the three bands, if I could see anyone in it, mm-hmm. all genres, George Strait. It's you two. And even though they're not as big anymore, I've always wanted to see Block Party. Those are like my three bands that like I would love to see before I before I kick the bucket. Well, we've got a long time, God willing, but uh our one one of our missed opportunities was Modest Mouse because we just left the show early that time. That was that was a bad decision. 
It was. We were we were beat that day. But uh, how the Edge stole Christmas, uh, Grand Prairie, Texas, two thousand seven. Because it was my Dodge Dakota's last ride, and uh, we. For whatever reason, we got up there. Modest Mouse was closing it down for that one for that evening, and we left like a couple of dumb freaking idiots. And big big dummies. I regret that. So I think they're playing the same day as George that Friday. So I think I, that's going to be. Nope. I just broke in the fucking microphone. It happens. That's that's Sam's what happens when you're recording live. Sam's going to edit that one out in the post. Um, Don't do it, Sam. She's going to amplify it in the post. But uh, that's the one day I'm going to try to get so I can see Modest Mouse and George straight somehow on the same day. That's fucking outstanding. Um, favorite rock show? And if you, or what's your favorite concert rock show? Or you can do an A and a B if you can't break up two. Oh, that I've been to? Yeah, yeah, that you've ever been to. Man. Um, I got an A and a B and an honorable mention because. Oh, we're going three. I try to go two and you got three. We've, you know me, man. We've been friends for damn near two decades. And you ask me to do a top five, I'll give you, I'll give you fucking like eight minimum. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the two I remember the most is just like enjoying the most in the moment. We're both at ACL. Kind of different circumstances. One was Houndmouth. That's going to be my B is Houndmouth. Um, just a great rock band. They would definitely make my like music festival lineup. Um, me, Mitch, Trevor, we were all into them. They were getting a lot of radio play with the Sedona song that came out a little while back. Mm-hmm. Um, they played at like 2 p.m. one day at ACL. And it, the side stage that they were at just got packed um, for this 2 p.m. band with like one song out. And their whole album then was great. Um, it's called Little Neon Limelight. Anyone that wants to listen to a great just rock album, Little Neon Limelight. It's got Sedona and it's got a bunch of great songs on it. My favorite song is Honey Slider. Um, just an incredibly enjoyable like hour 15. Very good. And okay. then my A is something I already mentioned, but it was the time I saw Paul McCartney. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you could sing every song he sang. Every song he sang. Um, I didn't know I knew Wings songs until then. Um, people people forget not only was Wings a TV show that was really awful on USA, Airport. but it was also a great band. Yeah. Um, I didn't know every song because he played some of his new stuff, but he played for two hours. That old ass. He's 108 years old. No, I got to start like during the Cold War. <laughs> like when it was real cold. So like, it's tough. Um, and then I wanted to give an honorable mention to uh, one that we were at. One of my favorite, just like straight up like rock performances where just the crowd was just really into it and stuff. Say anything at Edgefest. That was on my list, and now I will remove it. But yes, side stage, side stage, and they killed it. Side stage, me, you, Hunter Knox, uh, I think Jackie Robles, uh, Jenna, Jenna Sumner's. Um, 
my senior year of high school, spring of 07, uh, we were we were like, oh, we got to see say anything. That was like the one rose high school house band at that point. But uh, not that they were playing shows there, but everyone was listening to them, and they and murdered it. It was such a good show. Like I've never. It's hard to think of a time that I saw a show where the crowd was that in tune with who was playing. They always have had that energy. You know, it's sad to see what's happened to Max Bemis and the the downfall. I mean, he seems like he's happy now with his wife in Tyler, Texas, and they're just doing their thing. But yeah, you you have that show, which it's not on here, but that's the greatest concert A to B I've ever been to. Was that Edge Fest? Like my uh you had um yeah. muse afi mike him killers say anything freaking bullet for my valentine like everyone was there greatest a to a to z show but also when we went the next year or that same year we went to warp tour and watched them and they tore it up at warp oh. tour with like me you sam um hunter hendershot like oh rex hunter hendershot shut up what's that what do you call it a deep cut <laughs> deep cut no, I went to I went to school way back in the day at Arden Simmons. Uh, shout out, shout out to uh, Texas Hold'em in his fucking dorm room. Um, yeah, we uh, there was thinking back on that work tour. There's two good shows, and it was say anything and real big fish. Oh yeah, real big fish. That was there great. was there was two dog shit shows, and that was Taken Back Sunday and Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Was Taken at Warp Tour? Uh, I don't know. You're getting you're getting two edge fests mixed up. We left Red Jumpsuit to go see Say Anything, and then Taken Back Sunday. We went together. And I'm like, hey, they're really bad live, so <laughs> be you're prepared. Right. And then a weird a weird part of that warp tour was uh, Katy Perry was there as well. She was. It was she was kissing girls, and she really liked it. And that's all anyone knew about her. Um, the, I think I think those are great, great. If you're talking about bands, um. If we're, saying, if we're saying just just individuals at a concert, um, number one for me is the first time I saw Dwight Yoakam because uh, oh. he's, he's, again, like 800 years old, and he still puts on a hell of a show. And what's really cool is he talks like the first seven songs. He gives you stories and the Buck Owens stories and him opening up for punk bands in California because they really didn't know that type of country music. They didn't know what to do with them. So he would go to punk clubs and open up the show for like, not Bad Religion, but bands like Bad Religion, which is really cool. And that's how he got the name Country Cool because he was just so different at the time. But he plays like, do what? I said nice. Yeah, he plays like seven or eight songs and tells stories. And then he always, it's, it's just like his little line goes, okay, warm up's over. And then he plays for another hour, doesn't speak and plays every hit after hit after hit and if you don't listen to country music, you know all his music, like his Suspicious Mind cover. Um, there's just so many, so many great songs. And he he's probably number one for me. I made Kylie get into the aisle and dance. We were walking into the concert. He's like, Josh, we're the only ones under 50. I'm like, yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but that was a great show. B for me, it wasn't even really a rock intense show. It was me, you. See and Jimmy Eat World Live Acoustic against the Ooh. stage. Um, and being able to just be on, basically we're on the stage because there's no guardrail. And um, them giving us picks. Yeah, them giving us picks and playing not only like their hits, but they played a lot of uh, 
a lot of old songs that we got to really learn about the clarity album like we had listened to it but not like that and that is a concert i'll never forget because it was an acoustic concert that was it's a hard experience to beat and we had went to the sketchiest italian restaurant of all time i believe it's called campisi's 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 (laughs) thought we were going to get whacked they're uh they're branching out man they got several locations now they went that's awesome they went corporate I, did, did they have they have a shout out in the uh, Pony Excess whenever the guy that broke the story that SMU was doing what they're doing the dude from Pennsylvania oh. that's where he had dinner with Eric Dickerson and all of them and Dickerson's like yo this is a bad idea that makes total sense that that's, that restaurant is where that kind of thing would have happened it looked like it was straight out of like the Sopranos or Scarface or something it had literal leather doors when we were walking in yeah leather doors um but no, yeah, they have a bunch of locations now. I went um, last time I went to the Texas OU game a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, it was just like a campus over by like the state fair now. Like, it's crazy. Four or five different ones. I can't believe I forgot that show, man. Um, yeah, they played acoustic for over an hour. Then all of their roadies brought out like all of their instruments and they were just like, <clears throat> all right, guys, well, we're going to just play uh, whatever y'all want us to hear. And it was like they were just taking requests for like the full show. And then they did that again for like 10 more songs. And I think we both got a request and I can't remember which. Yeah, I, re- I requested sweetness. I'm like, because I wanted, I was like, and then he gave yes. me the pick. That was so cool. Yeah. And uh, we both got a pick and we were kind of comparing them after the fact. And I was angry. <laughs> you were pissed because yours was all faded and mine was like pristine. And I was like, dude, that's because they were using yours. <laughs> <laughs> what a idiot <laughs> uh yeah um i think bleed american would be my uh or no 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 a praise force praise force would be my like Jimmy world request at this point i really like 23 23 is probably my favorite song now but at the time um it was definitely definitely sweetness it was you know it's kind of the cliche song but uh 23 now is by far my favorite song that they have so shout out Jimmy World, y'all are awesome. Yeah. Um, Tempe, hey, Arizona, dude, they're so awesome. That, that hey, that's that's it. So now it's the time of the show we've all been waiting for. I'll have one more. Um, we have one more drink each, one more short topic to talk about. JB, you might as well order one more and tell me what you got. What I got, um, again, you know how much I love movies, and uh, I was watching a movie the other day, and then just kind of thinking about how Texas depicted in movies were a little bit one note and stuff. Um, but I was thinking about kind of what the best Texas movies are. The best movies that just kind of depict or represent or just ha- happen to happen inside of Texas. And I came up with a list of four. And then I lost it and I got to find it again. Full <laughs> time and open up my notes app and there it is. So I came up with a list of four, and I want you to rank these four movies in the, not as quality a movie, but best Texas movies. You ready? Texas movies, okay. All right, so here's what I got. Days and Confused. Friday Night Lights. Hell or High Water. That's the one I was watching the other day. It's and a then, great movie. And it was going to seem weird. Apollo 13. I mean, it's not weird. It's pretty easy for me. 
one and two is hard. Three and four is easy. Uh, Apollo 13, a bigger movie, but doesn't happen a lot in Texas, even though it is the start in Texas. So that's four for me. Hell and High Water is a vastly underrated movie if you've never seen it. I love the chase aspect. I love the Texas Ranger aspect. I think everyone plays their part remarkably. They nailed Um, West Texas. Yes. Went to school two different times in West Texas. They fucking nailed it. Yeah. For the geography, they thought those towns were way closer together than they actually are. I, I mean, I was a big fan. I they they the character building in that movie was perfect for, sure. for the people that was the guy that you think's the real dick is actually just kind of following the leader in the aspect, but the guy you think's kind of the nice brother just following along is kind of the ringleader making all this happen. Yeah. Um, sure. I, I love that movie. One and two is very hard for me. My heart says one thing, but my uh, my my mind says what's more like Texas. So number two is going to be Dazed and Confused. Um, that's probably, in my opinion, the better made movie. It's the better depicted characters. Every character, you you got a sense of them. Um, no matter how small part there was, there was enough building and enough storytelling that you understood that what Benny was like on a Friday night and how different he was during football. You know, like, hey, we can smoke some weed and stuff, but during football, like, cut that shit out. Like, we, we're going for state. Randall Pink and, like, unsure where his life leads where is he going to go he is equally involved in both like i can do both of these things and it was just great richard linklater the best director ever to come out of texas top 10 directors of all time in my opinion and you can put him against anybody that's super famous and that has had you know your steven spielberg's you know tom hanks now doing all his things like you can put him up there with him and despite the movies not maybe having the same quality the stories and the script is outstanding. Number one then would go Friday Night Lights for me because that is how the state feels about football. There is no, I had a conversation with a Ty, uh, with um, Ty Taylor not too long ago talking oh, about- shout out Ty. Shout out Ty Taylor. Um, having a conversation about, you know, for a while that it seemed like Glen Rose basketball was going down. And I was like, do you not think that the administration had any part of that? Once football started going up with Slaughter and Dunn, uh, basketball offseason went away. He was His argument was, there's not enough people that just play basketball. I was like, you know, there was only three of, three of us my senior year that was like seniors that played basketball. They were juniors, they were sophomores and freshmen. But football is king. The Friday night lights are, there's a different vibe. I was, I didn't play high school football. You know, I, I was our, one of our super fans, our little group. But being under those lights and traveling to those games, the excitement is 100% undeniable and watching your friends out there and the amount of pressure I experienced just in basket, being a basketball player, a good basketball team, I can't imagine how the, the football players felt, especially in a big, big school like a Dallas Carter, a Permian, Ooh. an Allen. And for our time, the Kings were Alito and Salina. Those were the two yeah. big teams when I was in high school. Like those kids were born i put in a little crib and had a little football and a little football helmet there no that's uh totally fair who was the third person that was only basketball for y'all it was you and sam it was me sam and charles norman those were the three oh, seniors fuck. and charles. then we and then we had clay and jed as sophomores yeah. gregor jaeger um is a junior alex frederick came over late but that was 
you know, those, those were the varsity players that just played basketball. Like we, we didn't have an abundance of them, you know, no. but it was, there was a basketball season. The class of 016 that went undefeated should have made state. Um, it was just Clay his senior year and uh, Kristen. Yeah. And jo- oh, Josh May. Love Josh May. Love that guy. Big, big, I can't believe I almost forgot Josh May. I'm, big I'm, shot Josh May. And see, he was in basketball offseason too, but he was a, a sophomore that was on the JV team at the time because he was, you know, he just moved there. But another thing, I, I, Glen Rose basketball, you play in this huge stadium, you can't feel no matter how you look at it. That was another thing. I'm like, if you're a student playing in that, and sorry to everyone that had a decision on the massive arena, if you watch this, I am sorry, but you have taken the energy out of Glen Rose basketball. Playing in a we playing in the old red gym, we packed it. It was loud. It was hot. People had to sit on stairs because it was so packed and crazy loud. You have you have these teams like last year's team was very very good. Basketball's back in Glenrose due to uh, Coach Bell, a product of Brock, which outstanding basketball team, outstanding everything. Anything Brock does turns into a gold mine. Uh, let's have a football program. Four years later, they beat Cameron and State. I mean, they know what they're doing. So basketball's back, but you're playing in a place with no energy, no character, no feeling. It's just really, really big, and people want to come play there. So I guess they're going for the dollars, and the tax bonds don't matter. I don't know. But they, the Red Gym was badass. We kind of got off track there a little bit. but We went from movies to the Red Gym. Uh, <laughs> At least we didn't go to the White Gym. Shout out, Coach D-Y-E. Let me, let me knock out a lightning round of these movie rankings for you. Uh, my number four is also Apollo 13. I just wanted to shout out, like, you know, being from Houston, like the space program is so important in that area of the state. And if it didn't happen in, in that movie, that movie is incredible. Uh, if it didn't happen in space, uh, it happened in Houston, Texas. So um, pretty good, uh, just kind of underrated Texas representation there. My number three is honestly Friday Night Lights. Um, not because it, everything you said is true. Um, it all just seemed a little bit kind of commonplace because they were trying to say something that I was just seeing every week anyway. Yeah. Uh, my number two is Hell or High Water. A little heavy handed, but it had a lot more to say about kind of the condition of a lot of the small Texas towns, especially out west, like your Coleman's, your Posts, your Albany's, um, your Holly's, what have you, shout out Boone and Seth, Holly, Holly America. But uh, just how those towns have just gotten their ass kicked for decades. And what the product of some of that is with the Chris Pine character and the Ben Foster character, those brothers that start robbing banks, they're robbing from the bank so they can pay the bank back and get like the oil rest to their mom's land. Yeah, that's what the entire movie is about. And the Texas Ranger trying to stop them with Jeff Bridges. And then you said it, Richard Linklater, this is an incredible filmmaker between Boyhood and Basic Confused and uh, Slacker, the Before Trilogy, School of Rock. Um, but yeah, Basic Confused, man, is kind of about the people within the construct that like leads to a Friday Night Lights, like. You have like the old couple stopping pink saying like, how's the arm? You're going to throw for 2,000 yards this year? And he's like, yeah. And then you have like this construct of like this little form that the coach wants him to sign that's kind of following him around this whole movie. 
and as a reminder of just like the expectations that he thinks he has to live up to if he plays football next year. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't play football, he gets to just kind of hang out with his friends, but he might just be quote unquote uh, just a dude that works for the city in 10 years. And then you have like the people like uh, the freshmen and sophomores that like they look at that and they're just like, all right, well then that's my path for the next three years and then for the next lifetime. Yeah. And it really perfectly encapsulates um, the experience of what it's like to kind of grow up in Texas. Um, And I got an honorable mention. The only other movie that's close is another Jeff Bridges movie that came out way back in the 70s. Um, It's called The Last Picture Show. Yeah. Forewarning is a little boring, a little slow. Um, But um, it's got Jeff Bridges in it. It's got a lot of people in it that would end up being famous. Horace Lynchman's in it, another famous old actress. She plays one of the grandmas in the bench warmers. But uh, um, it it's the most, it's the movie that's the most evocative, even more uh, than Basic Diffuse. It's the movie that reminds me most of where we grew up. It's the movie that reminds me most of Glen Rose, Texas. Um, every story is really just in Every story, it's like the story of like these two characters, these two characters, these two characters in this small town. And they all look up to this guy, Ben the Lion, who like owns the local theater, um, which is why the movie's called The Last Picture Show. Um, you've got um, a couple characters that are like signing up to go be in the army or the Navy, for example, because I think that's kind of their way out of going. I was like, they're just logical next step. I, know I understand. I understand that. I know that you can absolutely speak to that. I think you would be very reminded of uh, a couple of characters in that movie. You've got characters that are getting involved with like their coach's wife while the coach is like out of town. You've got you've got characters that are getting involved with like their friend's girlfriend, and you've got characters that are like growing up like brothers that end up hating each other, and then when they meet back up uh, a month later just picking up a friendship like nothing ever happens it's the movie that just reminded me most of growing up even though it's a movie from the 70s it's about that's what glenn rose is it's a bunch of people that grew up in the 50s that uh, raised a bunch of people that grew up grew up in the 70s that raised us I'm going to have to throw a couple more films out that you've, you've left out some classics and one that's obscure movie that you would, you would talk about getting out dancer population 81. Um, it is a movie. I saw when I was a kid, it's a West Texas town graduating class of four. The guys, when they were freshmen bought a bus ticket out of town because they're getting out. Um, and that, and that's kind of the plot. Um, it's the dude, the, the big character I remember in there is the guy that played Nick Papa Giorgio in Vegas vacation. He was in all those movies. Um, he he's in there, right? Um, so that's one. You talk about Texas movies. There's no way you don't talk about Lonesome Dove in there. Um, that is obviously a different time and place, but filmed in Texas. Um, the last two, one of them, you wouldn't even—I don't even know if they mention it being Texas, but we're just talking about being filmed in Texas. Is kind of how it started. Can't forget what's eating Gilbert Grape and the big fat fatty that dies in the house. I can't believe I didn't know that it was filmed in Texas. Filmed in Texas. Um, two more. My one of my mom's favorite movies. So shout out Janet. Um, Terms of Endearment with Jack Nicholson and um, 
because I, I love it when they go eat at Brenner's in Houston. I think we're going to need to get you drunk. So you're not an incredible <laughs> bitch. <laughs> and number one, one of my favorite movies of all time, it's going to be Varsity Blues. I love Varsity Blues. Sure. It's, it's, the, it's the poor man's uh, Friday Night Lights when you talk about reality. And that was on, another, it was on the uh, Bar Top Banter podcast when we talking about movies. The, the dudes that were acting as the football players knocked themselves out cold to make it look real. Um, so th- those are some of those movies. If you're, if you're watching this and you're from Texas, which I'm sure a majority of everybody is, check out those movies. Those are the ones that aren't always going to be well-known. But there we go. Very nice. Uh, what's your, I'll have one more. That way, um, we're just gonna, it's, it's a one, it's a one and done kind of thing. Uh, for, since we are talking about Memorial Day, okay. uh, it's gonna be a war movie. And this is what's gonna make it tough. There's no A and B, there is just a one. You have someone that's never seen any war movie. It can be one, two, Vietnam, it can be anything. And you want them to get the general, aspect of what you would believe war is about everything from the battles um to the orders of how it works and the camaraderie all one what movie are you watching you gotta go first i gotta go first you gotta go first i have so many i want to name but if we're just talking about the feeling of war and you want to see really what um the war probably is as a whole it's probably going to be Lone Survivor. Um, it talks about the camaraderie in a d- bunch of different areas. Again, I was not a special forces person. Um, I do have friends that were special forces. My brother worked closely with special forces. Shout out, JP. Um, when you're watching that movie, those four guys never never stopped believing they were going to win. They knew some shit was about to get heavy. But being SEALs, you're trained when you're tired. That's when you're the most dangerous. And vastly outnumbered felt that at the end, they were going to win. So that's their closeness. If you go to the very beginning of the movie, the blonde-haired guy has to do the little song and dance to warm up the crowd. But then when he has to do the um, the seal speech, it's like no fucking around. They're telling, don't fuck it up. Like, you mess up one of these words, shit's on. We're ready to go. Shows you how serious they take it. Um, their friends are in trouble. They send the whole team down to save them. Unfortunately, that goes bad as well. Um, Michael Murphy. You have some people that do this CrossFit challenge that have no idea what the Murph challenge is or what it's about. Um, I've talked to them at work. No clue. The man knew that he had to make this call for his friends and team to survive. Goes to the most exposed place, knowing you know he he you know he gave all his ammunition away, knowing what's about to happen, but makes the call. That shows like how heroic and how they break down these special forces guys to really show the team like their life and their opinion doesn't matter as long as the team succeeds and they live. And then just three, the sheer determined will of especially a Navy SEAL to you're not done until the last bullet is gone or my last breath's taken. Um, That is, if you want to watch a war movie, I think everything is involved in that. That's my number one. If you actually, and that's my opinion, if you talk to a lot of Marines, there was a, there was a, a vote. The, this was before Lone Survivor came out. Um, what movie was most realistic of how you felt in war? And it seems weird. Battle of Los Angeles, where they're fighting the aliens. But they're saying okay. the tactics 
and how they have each other's back and different movements that that was very realistic of the brotherhood of Marines and stuff in the thing. Again, it, it was alien, so it's not on there, but I think for me, that that's, that's the one. One survivor. And sorry, dad, if you're watching this, I know yours would have been, um, full metal jacket. So I do apologize. That movie's a lot. Um, Full Metal Jackets, but a, as a comedy, it just delves into just being the most tragic movie I've ever seen. It's so cool that the, that he did that all ad lib. There was no script for him. The the drill sergeant really? when he's yelling, 100%, oh yeah, hundred percent no script. Or Arlie Army, shout out. Um, one thing I'll uh, ask you about Lone Survivor. Do you know who directed Lone Survivor? Who directed it? I have no idea. Uh, Peter Berg. You know what else he directed? Negative. Friday Night Lights. How how I and those and those and those are both up there. So I, I must big, really like Peter Berg. Big Peter Berg episode for you. Um, I know that you love explosions in the sky, and so does he. And uh, I think you walked down the aisle your wedding to explosions in the sky. From, I did. You, your hand in mine. Which is which, which was in Friday Night Lights, right? Yeah, I wanted to do uh, Daniel Lanos. Uh, song and I can't remember the name of it, but it was a little too rocky. My wife said, but it's the one where they're trying to score a touchdown and they they don't quite make it. And that, that oh, guitar okay. riff that's the one, but it was a little too rocky for the wife and uh, mother in law. Oh. No, that's uh, Peter Berg's the only person in the world who probably likes explosions in the sky more than you do. Another, another great concert they played for like two hours and they literally said, Hey, we're explosions in the sky. We hope you have a good time and didn't talk again. That's incredible. Um, God dang, man. There's so many good war movies. It's such a good like way in just to tell a great story. Uh, I don't want to give just an obvious answer here, and I'm going to just bring it up after the fact. Um, shit. You, so, just, you got one, huh? I got three. My, I have a, no. A, no. I know, I know. And you told me I couldn't. But uh, so my one man, I liked it. I liked it a lot the first time I saw it, and then I kind of cooled on it because it's like, yeah, it probably wasn't that good. Um, then I've watched it a couple more times, and I think it was uh, Dunkirk, World War Two, a story about how much people that are at war just want to get the fuck home. A lot like Lone Survivor, honestly. Um, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, he did the Dark Knight movies, he did Inception. He knows how to tell a fucking story. And it's got like the weird timeline thing in it, but some great performances in it. Um, a lot about kind of the nobility of people at war. You've got, um, you've got the general who's just not gonna leave the beach until all of the other people are off. But then it's also a story about kind of the desperation of war. You've got all the young kids that are gonna just carry this dead body onto a boat just so they can get on the boat. But once they get on the boat, they're just gonna stay on the fucking outside of that boat just in case something happens so they can dive in the water. Yeah. And then you have the nobility of like just the people around the war. You have like that British family and all these British fishing boats. Uh, going to pick these soldiers up off this beach. 
And if you want to talk about it getting dusty in the living room, um, when they, when that general um, and his lieutenant or whatever, like think that all hope is lost and they're just talking about like, what are we going to do? And then he's looking off on the horizon, the music starts well enough and he's just like, what is it, sir? And it's just like, home. And all these fucking fishing boats from the main yeah. have to pick these soldiers up. And it's just all these old fucking dudes. And then they pick all these soldiers up and they go back. The soldiers are kind of riding the train. I'm getting chills talking about it. They're riding the train home and all these people are welcoming them home. And uh, one of the soldiers is like, what are y'all cheering? Y'all didn't do anything. It's like, y'all made it. Y'all survived. Mm-hmm. That's enough for today. Uh I think that's maybe the most underrated, a definitely recent war movie. It's so fucking good. It's outstanding. Yeah. Okay, well, you don't get any descriptions because this is like an hour and 76 minute podcast we got going here. You said you have two more. No descriptions. What are they? Saving Private Ryan and 1917. And then I will go ahead and add on uh, Taking Chance. It's most people don't know that movie so i think that is a great one to watch and i watch this in history class with coach christian it's going to be letters home from vietnam yeah and it's literally just the letters written by soldiers during vietnam with um with famous people narrating it that's all it is but it's you you get to you get everything so those are my two deep cuts that being said longest episode ever but it was super badass I appreciate you, man. Uh, it's, it seems like our have one more segment is like half the episode. I think moving forward, when in doubt, we're just going to have to like, oh, we should have five topics. Now we need to have like three, four, and then just let I, I'll have one more kind of take it. And that is kind of what replicates a happy hour the most. It's just like, oh, let's shoot the ship here. And, so, we'll just, we'll, and we'll order some fried pickles because we've uh, been here after happy hour. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed everything. It's a blast doing this. Please comment, please subscribe, please follow. Um, It does take a lot of time doing this, believe it or not, but it's a ton of fun. So we hope you enjoy it. Again, we hope everyone had a great Memorial Day weekend, got to spend it with your families, cooking cheeseburgers, hot dogs, whatever the hell you were doing, hanging out by the pool, the beach, the river, the lake. We were, I was working. I will be working. You too? Uh, Monday, not not the weekend, but Monday I will. So we'll be working, but hey, we hope you love the episode. Please, please, please leave comments. We thrive on the comments. Um, we'll be putting up some Instagram, some TikTok, some Facebook stuff to get everyone excited about this soon to be released. Other than that, JB, I appreciate your time. Um, as the theme, I play some amazing outro music. This is from one of my, this is a theme song of one of my favorite Disney movies that really got me going when I was a kid. So hope you enjoy it. Hope you and all y'all enjoy it. From the happy hour is Josh and Josh. We'll see you next time. Go Mavs, go. Go Mavs, go. Give to me. Give to me.